This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jones. Go by the name of Preach Jacobs. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to mobettersoul.bigcartel.com. Enter code Negro. Save 10% on your next motherfucking order. Um, so I joke all the time on this podcast that I only have two listeners. Apparently, we have more than that because the last episode <laughs> I did with this young man, everybody kept hitting me up. Um, and they really, really enjoyed this this brother that I had on last time. And uh, right when we recorded it, this is when the the Who Killed Malcolm X documentary came out. Yeah, and he hit me up. Absolutely did. Yeah. And it was like, yo, we gotta we gotta do another episode. Mm-hmm. So um, shout out to the homie Napoleon. What's going on, brother? It's good to be here. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whenever anybody's <laughs> listening to it, man. Good to be with you again, brother. Yeah, man. I, I really enjoyed our conversation last time. I did uh, as well. People were really, really engaged with it. And um, yeah, I, I, even before we started recording, as I'm making my coffee, we were talking about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on the Pop Smoke uh, passing? So, man, it when I initially read it, I didn't... It was one of those things like, wait, you know, I was just listening to him. It's... Both me and my son, like on a car ride in to school in the morning, and I know some parents are going to probably clutch their pearls. Mm-hmm. Oh no, we bump motherfucking pop smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like welcome to the party. Like I was joking with my son in the car the other day. Like pop smoke sounds like he's been through puberty like seven times. <laughs> <laughs> his voice is such. But we um we we were having a conversation about his music and kind of the influence that. I think gang culture has had Mm -hmm. on New York music. I looked at Pop Smoke as kind of a core representation of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And taking some of the New York sensibility, um, myself being a native New Yorker, but in my 40s now, I struggle with what to me doesn't sound like New York rap Mm -hmm. when I hear guys like Pop Smoke. Um, But understanding that New York now has gang culture as an identity. Mm-hmm. And that influences the music where we haven't been in control of the narrative of what is rap yeah. and hip hop for so long that we have, as a city, New York, adjusted mm-hmm. to it and have kind of experienced music making with a kind of cross-pollination. It sounds like Chicago drill music to me okay. is ultimately what it sounds like. But as far as Pop Smoke is concerned, like, you know, I, I, my heart was heavy. Yeah immediately because I'm seeing what I think our youngsters are experiencing is almost inevitability Mm -hmm. that violence is going to come to them. Mm -hmm. They lean into that violence as opposed to away from it. Yeah. And they know they're going to be affirmed when they lean into that violence. You're supposed to. Yeah. That's how gangsters supposedly move now is to put yourself, listen, I'm going to drop my address. So you know. Yeah. That that was one of the things that I think early on um, they were saying that they thought it was just a robbery going bad because yeah. there was someone, they were posting that when he was on his Instagram live. Yeah. He had his address. Now it's saying that it wasn't a robbery going bad. It okay. was an actual hit. Hit on him. Yeah. 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 And I think a, a part of what 
a lot of our very young, unfortunately, do not realize is that they are targets, in some instances, only for people to rack up numbers. Mm -hmm. There's somebody right now bragging, and Tyler, as you mentioned, not even yeah. a robbery. Like, they have added to their resume mm -hmm. Pop Smoke. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be disturbing, you know, that I, I feel in some ways that all of this, if there are people who are with our youngsters having the appropriate level of communication about how to best value life, that some of this is avoidable. But not only is that conversation not happening, I don't know even for those of us who are of an age, if we wanted to have the conversation that we have the appropriate vocabulary to have it in with our children. Yeah. Uh, I think we, <sighs> there's too much patois Mm -hmm. that they use to talk about how they're hurting and how they're functioning and where happiness has either been absent or the few instances where they feel it and we just don't understand it. Yeah. And I think it leads to situations like you see with Pop Smoke. Yeah. You know, there is somebody who felt compelled to take someone else's life because of their status. Yeah. I mean, we had... Uh Triple X Natasha on last year. We had Nipsey uh -huh. last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 a lot of times it kind of falls down on you, you really think that it's just people trying to get their stripes. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, right. Because the guys that killed Triple X, they were like posing, they were posing with like the shit they stole from. Correct. Them, you know? Correct. And, and and you in your head have to say, like, yo, okay, so they want to be seen doing this. Mm-hmm. They want and for me, I always fall back to what is the psychology that drives mm -hmm. the things that people do? What, do our children, in some instances, feel so invisible? Mm. Do they feel so terribly lifeless at times mm. that the only way for them to feel charged and to plug in is to somehow reduce someone else's humanity, to mm. dehumanize someone else, to remove them? I think a lot of that influences what we see our children being willing to do to others and to themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of self-immolation mm -hmm. that is happening. Like, I'm going to destroy everything around me because I need to see something on fire to feel. Mm. Mm. Okay. I, I, definitely, I definitely feel you on that. Where it's like, if... If I can't have love, mm -hmm. uh, violence would do just just right. something to feel something. Yeah, just to feel yeah. something because of this numbness. And I think, you know, I've heard folks say, you know, in our generation, well, you know, our rappers dealt drugs. These kids do drugs. Do drugs yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, our our generation, they were getting their sedative on in other ways. Mm -hmm. A lot of the talk that I think most of us saw around these ideas of wealth accumulation and, you know, bitches and cars and homes and influence and traveling, like all of those things were a kind of sedative. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you notice none of it was talking directly about at-home life. Yeah. No. None of it was talking about that internal human process. Like it was a drug of a sort. Mm -hmm. And I think we all partook, you know, we kind of lived in many ways vicariously through that. These kids with social media our children, in fact, are seeing the lives of other people. They're not necessarily having to travel to that place. Yeah. They can see someone else living it. They can value it from a distance and want it, and some feel they'll never have it. Mm -hmm. 
and then what is immediately around them is so profound and then projected into their life through social media again. Yeah. Right, so it doubles down on them. And I think a lot of the music, a lot of the life, a lot of the drug use, they're trying in every way to escape, as every one of our generations have, yeah. trying to find some means to get away from it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um something that we all we, we've seen it in hip hop where it's just yeah. a different way of, of trying to have a level of escapism. Yeah. Um I'm I'm wondering we we were talking about gang culture in prisons. Yeah. And and kind of the the history of you know the the bloods and crips stuff coming to like new york yeah to kind of piggyback on on the malcolm discussion mm-hmm. you know there was this time where you know the nation of islam was oh, was kind yeah. of was kind of the way we talk about the gang cultures in the yeah. prisons mm-hmm. you know the noi was in the prisons like that absolutely is it still prevalent in in, in the prison systems like do we hear brothers coming out talking about joining a nation as much as we hear them joining a gang? Not as much. Okay. Not anymore. Um, there are still organized groups of Muslim sets, in, and I hate to say sets, mm. but it's essentially what it boils down to in prison parlance because of how basically folks have to click up mm. uh, for a means of survival. A lot of what you're seeing, and it's interesting with regard to New York City is we didn't, you had what folks would call gangs in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like the war, the Warriors film. Yeah, yeah. Right? Certainly it was there, yeah. but you had a lot more neighborhood crews. I think the nation of Islam is not existing necessarily in the way that a lot of organized gangs are now. Mm-hmm. They did at a point, you know, like the number of the Bloods and a number of the Crips who served time in prison talk about being under the thumb. Mm-hmm. In the 80s of the Nation of Islam, five percenters mm-hmm. who were basically running their lives. Then it moved over to Latin Kings, and then eventually the Bloods were the turning point. Well, so is it one of those things? Are they mutually exclusive? If it, like, if somebody, if the Nation sect sec was in prison, was like, yo, if you become a Blood, you can't be a part of us, or you could be both? That I, I don't know. Okay. I do know that there were several five percenters okay. who jumped the fence. I got they you. were five percenters, but were like, well, I'm also a Blood. Nation, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that it was still the same because it came down to race. If one was black and wanted to become a blood, I'm sure no one was going to say, well, you're also yeah. a member of the Nation of Islam. Can you fight? Yeah, yeah, that's Are you willing to poke to. someone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, no, we're going to, to bring you on over. So yeah. speaking of uh, the Nation, and, mm-hmm. and, and after after we saw the, the who killed Malcolm that, X. That, that doc, and, and for me... Mm-hmm. I wanted to watch the documentary because a few years back I had read the Marable book. Mm, okay. And the the Marable book shook me, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways. I wanted to see how much of that book was going to be brought into what I saw in the documentary. Mm-hmm. That So I was like, okay, let me compare these things as text almost mm-hmm. and see what I can find in terms of similarities or any new information. There, there was some there was some new information. So so what was the thing that stood out the most for you that, that you didn't see before? So really the, the one thing I would say was the the conversations that were had with the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Even though law enforcement is implicated in the Marable text, mm-hmm. 
here we're actually getting to see law enforcement firsthand themselves Yo, yeah. talk about their approach. Oh man, which was infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, I'm watching he's this so nonchalantly, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, here was our attitude toward Malcolm, and we understood he wasn't going to accept our help. Yeah, and, and, we, and we, I wanted, and I wanted him to. What did the guy say? He said, "I, I wanted him to say no." I so wanted him to say record. no. I needed to document that he said Yo, no, knowing that he wouldn't. Like the FBI having documents suggesting, no, we're going to treat mm. the Nation of Islam like a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to treat Malcolm X like he is a potential fulcrum. Mm-hmm. If he flies too high, we must find some way to clip his wings. Mm-hmm. Like this was infuriating. Oh man, to observe because you can see how their logic led in part to what we saw. Absolutely, we have him under observation twenty four hours a day of his life. Mm-hmm. We're going to pull as far back as we can, mm-hmm. believing that he is now provided his own self with rope to hang himself. You know, the worst part about it is. The actual man that infiltrated the nation that was there to give him mouth to mouth. Yeah, security man. And to yeah. hear that cop yeah. say, What the hell are you giving what him mouth to mouth? What are you doing? Yo. What are you doing? Like why how dare you do your job and save this man's life? I mean, my thing about it is this, like as a as a as a black man in America to mm-hmm. have that job mm-hmm. to infiltrate the nation mm-hmm. and to kind of Put your, you know, have your hands involved in the killing this black leader. Right. Like, what kind of, you know, we, the black community, we have this thing where we talk about snitches and all yeah. this type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. What do we have for those guys? <sighs> I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's I, there's there's a kind of cultural Jekyll and Hyde syndrome mm. that takes place where I think people believe you have to be one or automatically transform into the other mm-hmm. as if you cannot love being both black and engaged yeah. and be involved in your work if it benefits the United States, yeah. you know, and yeah. our federal system in some way and police work. Like you can't do both. You must choose. And I think that thinking, mm-hmm. that kind of thinking was pressed down upon him, kind mm-hmm. of an emotional helmet mm-hmm. that we wear. And so I am certain in the military, mm-hmm. in police forces, there's always that point where brothers and sisters who do the work are approached yeah. by their fraternity of fellow soldiers. Yeah. Fellow, like, let, let me try and take your temperature to find out yeah. which team you are you, actually You're going to reach that fork where you're mm-hmm. either going to be Black Lives Matter or right. Blue Lives Matter. Correct. And you're going to have to make that decision. Correct. Um, there was a few things that I thought was really interesting with this documentary. There's a couple mm-hmm. of things that come to mind. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. There's this book. I forgot the name of the author. I have it. Um, parents House somewhere. It's called Eyes to My Soul. You ever heard of this book? Eyes to My Soul by? I forgot the gentleman's name. But okay. the book was written by the first black FBI agent. Right, right. Okay. Okay. I know the book you're talking about. Okay. Um, and, 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 and it talked about a lot of the stuff that that, you know, one of the things that... I had to kind of catch myself on. I was getting frustrated where I'm like, man, the nation should have known how deep and dirty the the FBI's infiltration was and the yeah. tactics were. But I'm but I'm imagining they had no idea how how deep, you know, that investment was. All they probably knew was, all right, you know, um we're being surveilled. Right. I see people on buildings, maybe right. they're tapping my phones. They didn't right. understand. They how should they have went. known the depth, certainly. Listen, in that book, it talked about now, now mind you. When when Hoover, 
when Hoover turned the Bureau of Investigation to federal, the whole thing kind of started in the book. It talked about how um, when you had uh, the Roaring Twenties, mm-hmm. where somebody would do a crime um, in Chicago, mm-hmm. then they'll drive somewhere in Indiana, and then they can't get caught because right. it's not a federal thing. Right. Um, as soon as it became federal, Hoover's main objective began with like Marcus Garvey. Absolutely. You know. So Absolutely. the so it, it's almost saying that the origin of the FBI kind of started with trying to take down anything with with black empowerment. Compromise it completely, yeah. destabilize it absolutely as much as is power as much as is possible. Make it so that black people do not have access mm-hmm. in any way to developing any personhood, any balanced mm-hmm. community efforts. Listen, destabilize them as often as you are able. Yeah, here's one of the things they said in the book that blew my mind was that technically speaking. The mail system is all federal. Mm-hmm. So the FBI has access to, like, let's say you have the West Coast chapter of the Panthers and mm-hmm. Huey's in here, and then Cleaver is on the, the East Coast. Right. If they're writing letters back and forth to each other, mm-hmm. since it's federal, the FBI can intercept the letters, mm-hmm. and they would get handwriting experts mm-hmm. to look at, hey, this is how Huey writes this, blah, blah, blah. And they would get these people to rewrite letters. Yeah. To to yeah. to turn it into something yeah. egregious like yo and anything that could for the FBI the history has been if they can label a thing a matter of national security mm-hmm. then they can take especially under Hoover's administration mm-hmm. any steps necessary mm-hmm. any steps it, up to and including what as I'm thinking about that documentary mm-hmm. what stands out to me is how. All parties concerned allowed Malcolm to be assassinated. Yes. The FBI, mm-hmm. Nation of Islam, mm-hmm. NOI leadership, membership, that everyone simply said he, in, in one way or another, that he got what was coming to him. Yeah. He flew too high and yeah. should have been more careful. That kept coming across, especially on the Nation of Islam side, that... Yeah. Here are things he should not have said and things he should not have done. And ultimately, the prophet did not say to kill him. Yeah. But what troubles me there in in understanding the psychology of man is someone with a voice that resonates enough can simply plant a seed. Yeah. And And, and I think that it's sort of like it's one thing to say, don't kill him. Right. It's another thing to say it's still our responsibility to protect them. And right. I don't think and right. I don't think that was the case because it's it's like if you're saying, Hey, we have a disagreement with Malcolm, right. but he's still our brother. Right. You know, that's something where I think it would have fell differently than saying, All right, all right, I know y'all don't kill him. You right. know? And, and right. you can kind of say that in a in a way where, you know, Kind of exactly what kind of happened is that you might have some hungry dudes that's trying to impress, correct? Trying to impress them, you know correct. what I mean? They're trying and, to get rank. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't said with with the the fervor that it needed. It's just like, all right, leave him alone. Right. You know what I mean? But it, but it, it didn't feel sincere, I guess. And and here was an institution that the people who were invested in it and members of it determined could not be allowed to be assailed. Mm-hmm. It could not in any way be challenged. Yeah. Right. So for them, in as many zealots do, they determined, you know what? 
we have to protect our God structure yeah. at all costs. Yeah. And for folks, they were new money. It was the first time with the Nation of Islam they were feeling truly powerful. Mm-hmm. They were feeling truly engaged. And here is someone who is making the closest access we have to that God structure seem human mm-hmm. and seem fallible. Mm-hmm. So what does that say about us? Yeah. We can't allow that. Yeah. And I don't believe for one second that the leadership structure within Nation of Islam wasn't deployed. Have you heard the term cat's paws before? Mm-mm, what's that? Um, so in a lot of old fiction and science fiction, the term cat's paws refers to using someone to perform the task that you want performed without directly saying to them you want them to do it. Charles Manson. Essentially. So guiding them toward doing the thing, right? Um, I believe in every way the conversations that were had Mm -hmm. behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. and it was partly suggested. Mm -hmm. The prophet would say, no, this should happen to him, but I'm not going to tell others to do it. No, there are people who are hearing that, and I believe you have a kind of own coded language. Yeah. Someone with enough authority can look at the right person and say, I really don't like that guy. Yeah. And that person knows yeah. I've got to go take care of it. Yeah. It's um what, what they were talking about when they were doing like this Manson documentary, they said that like Manson never told anybody to kill anybody. He'd be like, you know what? It'll be nice if such and such wasn't here anymore and he'll just right. walk out the room. Right. And then the father's right. like, oh, we don't want to disappoint him. You right. know what I mean? And yeah. What he actually means is this. Yeah. Right. When certain people get to a point where they become the voice of God for, mm. for their zealots, for their followers, no, all they have to do is suggest it. Yeah. All they have to do is to drop. And, and very often it's going to be in Morse code. It's going to be in a kind of mm-hmm. cultural braille yeah. that people Ooh. can read when they touch it. Ooh. No, I know what he meant. Ooh. I know precisely what he meant. So let me carry that out. And the new work group being so close to New York, I believe in every way. Mm-hmm. And uh, New Jersey is always trying to emotionally yeah. get to where New York is. They're in the mm-hmm. shadow of New York. I believe in every way. Yeah. They determined several of them. This is our opportunity yeah. to prove ourselves. And that and 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 that was the one of the interesting things that they said that when the two gentlemen that were proclaimed to be innocent, mm-hmm. they were from the New York mosque. Correct. And one of the guys <laughs> and one of the guys is just like, there's no way we could have gone we in there. We couldn't have done it. You know what I mean? Right. Because because they knew mm-hmm. what we who we are, what we look like. Right. The other thing that I think is very, 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 very interesting about this that that I'm kind of like, wow, this documentary is coming out now. There's uh-huh. something very specific that I think about when I think about the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, the the old FBI director, um, what was his name, that, that, that left under the Trump administration, he wrote this book mm-hmm. um, recently. I forgot his name. His name is skipping me. But I remember when he wrote his book mm-hmm. and he was doing like a book tour about it. He said this, and it was just very, very interesting. They said... Um, most of the process of writing this book, blah, 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 blah. And he basically said that when he wrote the book, mm-hmm. he still, even though he's not with the FBI anymore, he still had to send the transcript to the FBI. Yeah. And they redacted and was like, take this out. <laughs> yeah. You know, so essentially, mm-hmm. even if he has a quote unquote tell all book, right. it's still what the FBI is allowing him to put out. Right. And so anything that comes out about this Malcolm investigation, 
the number is always 50 years, right? The number, like, the FBI is always on some tip where they're basically like, all right, you know, um, a lot of this stuff has been under wraps for 50 years. A lot of these, like, you know, secret documents have been, um, you know, filed as as top secret for 50 years. Maybe we'll let you see them now. Right. And, And so I still feel, damn, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, A, is it stuff that the FBI is like, all right, we'll let y'all see this now. And B, there's still tons of redacted stuff. Absolutely. You saw it on the documents. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you saw it on you the documents. I, mean? I, I believe in every way that the FBI at least had a notion mm-hmm. of what was certain to happen. Yeah. I believe that every mosque mm-hmm. everywhere was probably mm-hmm. being monitored. I believe that they heard conversations. Now, do I have any of the evidence to support my beliefs? No, I've got enough that is kind of needling, that is related to the evidence which has been shown to suggest action could have been taken. It was just odd on a, Mm -hmm. in an instant where we are surrounding these same types of events, any ballrooms, any halls, Mm -hmm. any university activities with a police force. Mm -hmm. Malcolm X, Mm -hmm. one of the most famous of all of the rabble-rousing activists, Mm. has this massive event, huge ballroom, huge city, Mm -hmm. press following this. Mm -hmm. There's no police force at all. all. Everyone has been pulled back. Uh, It's too much coincidence. And listen, and and, and when they said... That twenty years later, when they were doing like you know, nineteen eighty five, they mm-hmm. were doing this this news thing. Mm-hmm. They still had the um, the what you call it, the stand that he was talking on, right? Still riddled with bullet holes. Yeah, that should yeah. have been evidence. Correct, immediately. Yeah. So, yeah. so my question is, one, we're hearing about the possibility of them reopening this case. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, my question would be, do you think that'll happen? And two. Is there something where if the law enforcement was grossly um, incompetent, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's on purpose or not, a lot of it feel like it was on purpose. Mm-hmm. Is there anything legal that anybody can do with that? We're gonna say, hey man, you know, it's sort of like the way you can file a civil suit where right. you can say, all right, well OJ didn't, you know, didn't get acquitted. OJ didn't get, get was getting guilty for murder, but, but he's quote unquote but there's civil damages. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I don't know. Um, considering the period of time yeah. and the various yeah. roles of those who were involved, I don't know. I mean, is it possible to sue the district attorney's office? Is it possible to sue the state and the city? I imagine it is in some way. Yeah. At this point, I feel like the priority has to be given to the truth, mm-hmm. making its way to the surface. Um, William X. Bradley is passed on. Mm-hmm. Shotgun man. Yeah, yeah, correct. But if we're going to find out what happened, I think we want to know the names. Mm-hmm. We want to know how. We have some sense of why, but we want to know what the architecture mm-hmm. of this thing was. And I think an investigation would do well to give that to us. Those of us who have followed Malcolm's life, because... It's the last piece that we haven't had really brought to surface. Maribel's, Maribel's book raised a lot of issues for people. Did you get, have a chance to read it? Mm-mm. I recommend it. Okay. It's, it's a strong book, very strongly researched. And what he brings to the surface is here is who Malcolm was as a human. Mm-hmm. 
Malcolm gave us a version of himself with his autobiography, mm-hmm. and we almost treat that as biblical. Yeah. But there was a life to be researched, and Marable did a phenomenal job of researching that life, calling into question Malcolm's relationship with his wife, mm-hmm. right? Which all of us who have had girlfriends, mm-hmm. all of us who have had boyfriends, all of us who have been married, all of us who have had any various number of complicated relationships, mm-hmm. senses of self with other people, relationships have seasons. Yeah. You never got what their relationship was like, even though you know it had to be stressful <sighs> in some ways. You you never got a sense of how was this impacting Malcolm, considering how young he was. Yeah, yeah. What did he do to process emotionally everything that had happened in his childhood, his father dying so very young, mm-hmm. his mother having an emotional breakdown, mm-hmm. Malcolm himself falling into a life of crime, in some instances being dishonest in spaces yeah, about what yeah. that life of crime was, serving time in prison, discovering the nation of Islam, being betrayed mm-hmm. by the nation of Islam, having to find his way and redefine his identity and his... like. How it was mentioned in the documentary that he probably needed therapy. Oh, absolutely. At some point. And, I mean and I imagine he, yeah. he needed it in several stages of his life. And Marable, I think, brought to the surface mm-hmm. some of those items that Malcolm probably needed to process. And I think probably Betty needed it too. I mean, listen, that footage of them just microphones. Yeah, her questioning face her. Right after questioning her. Right yeah. after her He's just died. Was murdered. I mean, he's just died. I, I, that, that was, and just seeing that, you know, and, and the strength that she had, cause like, you know, we've never seen her, you know, I've never seen really much footage of her breaking down, right. and, you know, having, right. you know, like the, the stress that she might've had in that situation, it was, was, was insane. I can't, I can't imagine. Um, my other thing that I'm, that I'm wondering about is, do you think, because there's something, that stu- some of the stuff they were saying that after, you know, Malcolm kind of disbanded from the nation, that he was sending Elijah Muhammad letters asking mm-hmm. to come back. Right. Um, do you think that Elijah Muhammad felt like, I right, he'll come back soon, that's why he's asking people not to, to harm him? Or do you think that the nation felt like, even if we don't touch him, there's so many people that are frustrated with him that we can't bring them back. Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was a bit of both. Um, He was allowed to be exposed by the nation. Mm. And in some ways, I experienced Elijah Muhammad as a parent who has decided that the child needs to be punished. Mm -hmm. And the child needs to be punished severely. And the child needs to be punished punished because they spoke back to me in my house. Yeah. My home, my rules. Yeah. And many in the nation believe that the only reason that Malcolm developed the platform that he did is because of the Nation of Islam. Mm. Not that Malcolm was a powerful activist and speaker. You know, he was referred to as the electronic man by some folks. Wow. They were like, no, he, he talks a lot. He doesn't do as much. Uh, That's wow. what they first, it was a nickname given yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah. They were like, I mean, Martin is at least out here. Marching, getting beaten ahead and thrown yeah. in jail. And that's a question I got coming up. Malcolm mm-hmm. is more so just a gifted orator. Yeah. And the nation, I think, wanted for Malcolm to acknowledge mm-hmm. that the platform that he had was because of what was given to him by the nation. And so how dare he mm-hmm. 
speak about the nation as anything other than a home and that and a supportive one and 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 as good and that was one of the things that that I, I thought about where I, I saw this this Farrakhan speech. I think yeah. the speech was like probably right after the movie it came yeah. out. Yeah, which, yeah. which, funny enough, uh, it, it's always a strange. I've watched it about yeah. three times. This is very, very odd because he doesn't address enough. But yeah, one of the things that that people don't realize that Farrakhan pretty much threatened Spike Lee. Right, as you notice in the movie, yeah. there's no Farrakhan in it. Correct. You know. Correct. And and all this footage that you're watching in the documentary, this Farrakhan was always there. Right. You know. Um, so Farrakhan and the nation was just like, you bet not put Farrakhan. Don't in. Like put they me in they there. pretty much threatened Spike right. with it. Right. One of the things that that I thought was interesting that Farrakhan had said was um he basically was just like, you know, when Malcolm, I think, was talking to him about what he felt like he needed to do as far as exposing this information. Mm-hmm. And Farrakhan Basically, was just like, I, I'm gonna have to let Elijah Muhammad know, you know what right. I mean, because he's my teacher or whatever. Right. Um, he said something to the extent of, you know, when Malcolm came to the nation, Malcolm was, you know, this thief. He was, you know, life of crime, uh-huh. he was spent whatever, and Elijah kind of took him as he was, and and there was this thing where Farrakhan was like, all right, well, if Elijah was doing this 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 fucked up shit, you know. For you to go out to the white press that right. really didn't have any interest in preserving what we were doing, right. you know, that that was one of the things that he felt like, you know, you should have given Elijah the same grace that he gave you, you know, keep yeah. it in house. The other thing that I thought was really, really interesting that we were talking about the the Martin stuff. There's certain stylistic things about Martin that mm-hmm. I might disagree with, uh-huh. but he was in the trenches. He was always in the he, trenches. He was yeah. in the trenches. Yeah. So there's a part of me that felt like I wish, you know, it's like Malcolm was kind of like how New York rappers kind of feel like, all right, there's just New York. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and it felt like, you know, I wish there was more involvement in the South right with, in with the somebody community. like Malcolm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They said it was something that he came to Selma. He did. Yeah. Um, he, in fact, came to Selma, but. Authorities wouldn't let him visit with Malcolm. Wow. I mean, uh, with Martin. Martin. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, he came down. Wow. Came down. And this was just weeks before. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't even think it was a full month before he was assassinated. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. Do you think, you know, because at this time, Malcolm was, was, you know, on his own. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that if he had the ability to link up with Martin, that he would have accepted his help? I think he would have accepted a kind of help. Okay. Like right? what? Um, I, the two of them would probably have done some speaking together. Mm. They would have done maybe some point, counterpoint, mm-hmm. um, done some developmental talking mm-hmm. with one another. Let's go into the community. Uh, let's do some focused engagement mm-hmm. together, which would have put him more in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Here's a part of things with Malcolm that I think I've had to come to terms with is how proud a man he was. Mm -hmm. There was some ego there. I think that was mentioned a few times, and I can't dismiss it continuously, Mm -hmm. not after reading the Marable book and comparing that to other texts I've come across and the autobiography. I Mm -hmm. think 
certainly he did want for his voice to be heard. Yeah, he was a rock star. Yeah, right. and he was not going to let that go. Yeah. But if he's if, if the two of them were to decide, okay, we're Jay-Z and we're Kanye, yeah. which is who they were at that time. Yeah, the watch the throne of uh, civil rights Precisely, yeah, who, yeah. who gets top billing? Yeah. Because Martin was also mm-hmm. a proud man. Mm-hmm. So who gets top billing? Whose ideas do we promote most? I think they would have had to taken some time to develop what their approach would be. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot struck me about the engagement between Malcolm and the overall movement, because as you said, very insular, mm-hmm. very insular. Like I'm here for the nation of Islam, and that's how the nation viewed it. Mm-hmm. And so much so that the nation determined that even if our prophet is wrong, he's right. Wow. He does any number of things, we still must protect him because ultimately he is God in the flesh for us. What did he say? Because I think he told uh, Malcolm that the prophet must plant his seed in fertile soil. Correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) You know what I mean? Correct. Correct. (laughs) And and so from and. What I think a number of people processed was, well, Malcolm was okay with it until he was given his 90-day censure. Well, my thing was was this. Do you think that if Malcolm took the 90 days and didn't bring up Elijah Muhammad having these kids, that he would have still been alive? No. No, I don't think that at all. Um, Malcolm X had surpassed... Elijah Muhammad as the voice of the Nation of Islam mm-hmm. to the public, mm-hmm. not within the faith itself, not within the community itself. Which but the, is which the is, rest of the world had yeah. determined that Malcolm was the voice. Which was interesting, right? Because because you know Elijah Muhammad was a very small, frail, Correct. meek man. Correct. You know what I mean. So in some regard, he kind of needed Malcolm to kind of like push the the Nation of Islam agenda. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering the same way that, you know, when Hoover was investigating Martin mm-hmm. and found, like, you know, and, and, and even tried to blackmail him, which, again, <laughs> again, <laughs> right. the 50-year rule, right. the FBI released it because they're like, all right, we'll let you see it. We, right. got, we saw the letters that Correct. the FBI was sending to Martin Correct. about, like, hey, you don't want your wife to find we out. We know about your indiscretions. Yeah. yeah. So in a weird way. Could that have been kind of similar to the Elijah Muhammad thing, where it's like, hey, you know, Elijah's sleeping around, mm-hmm. uh, Martin is sleeping around, mm-hmm. you know, what what's the big whoop? I mean, because from what from what yeah. I heard to the people that I that I've spoken to that are part of the nations, a great friend of mine who her father's in the nation, like from the old school sixties and seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she said that like Malcolm's autopsy basically said he had like the fucking cleanest intestines ever. Yeah. Like like he ate one meal a day. Mm-hmm. He he took care of himself. Like mm-hmm. so he, so when we talk about somebody that really bought it. He in, was about that life. Yeah, he was really, yeah. really about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think Malcolm was caught in a position that many are when they are about the faith and the practice. Mm-hmm. And they come across those who may be partly about it, mm-hmm. but have ulterior motives. I got you. Um how the rest of us feel when we meet uh, a reverend and 
a part of what we do is we promote a reverend, a minister, or a pastor to some particular human pedestal. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to behave and live in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Malcolm would have very likely started living that way when he got out of prison, regardless of what his faith was. Mm -hmm. His integrity would have driven him mm -hmm. to engage in that way. I think the Nation of Islam just happened to be the instrument I got you. for him. Whereas for someone... Like Elijah Muhammad, he was always fully in touch with his humanity. Mm -hmm. He was always in, I'm always weary of those who present as meek mm -hmm. and mild. Yeah. And that started for me when I watched Star Wars as a kid. <laughs> okay. Looking at the emperor yeah. who appeared to be hurt, mm -hmm. who appeared to be very old. And I started to observe the elderly in other parts of my life and the kind of authority they wielded without having, with a look at yeah, times. Yeah. What occurred to me in watching Elijah Muhammad, I'm like, no, we do not have the full measure of this man. Yeah. Some people did, yeah. and they understood. I think a part of what he did that Martin did not, Martin being, in the eyes of many, pious, mm -hmm gave the powerful narrative and perception over to the FBI and the public. Mm -hmm. You don't want the public to look at you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. To all of the nation of Islam, the idea of the prophet being polygamous mm -hmm. was accepted as fact. Yeah. It's what he took that power of narrative away. Yeah. The white press didn't know that. Yeah. That was the part where it was like, Malcolm, listen, you violated. Yeah. You know that we're okay with this. Mm -hmm. You told these particular stories that are family stories publicly in yeah. shared company and not even company that we trust. And that and that was the thing that that I think that maybe that was I think the way they kind of talked about it in the documentary, I don't know if that came out until they were trying to like take his house. Right. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. like, like right. you know, his back was kind of against the wall mm -hmm. because apparently, you know, again, his life was kind of really dedicated to the nation where it's like right. he wouldn't take any stipends. Right. If he got paid um, money to do speaking engagements, right he would give it to the, to the nation, nation. You know, yeah. so showing the nation and him a kind of beefing. Um, I can't remember what happened because I know they put him on the 90 day thing. Correct. But was there a riff after that that he's like where where they were trying to say when we take your house away or did it just did it blow up after the nineties? I can't remember what it was, what exactly happened. Yeah, that took place after the ninety days, if I remember correctly. Where what it seems is everyone was trying to position themselves. Mm. You know that a part of what Malcolm determined was that he was going to develop a close friendship with with uh, Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. who was Cassius Clay That's at the it. time. Yeah. And as it was mentioned in the documentary, just. Elijah Muhammad was playing chess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I understand what they were saying. I'm there. going to threaten your livelihood first. Yeah. Your home is ours, even mm -hmm. if reasonably we should mm -hmm. allow you to maintain this home. Like, no, if you're going to be out, mm -hmm. you're going to be all the way out. Yeah. And okay. they knew, you know, we can't, we can't very simply punish him. Mm -hmm. We have to find some way to muzzle him. Yeah. We're going to have to find some way to embarrass him. And Malcolm saw that that is what was happening. Mm -hmm. You guys are creating a narrative around me. And so mm -hmm. his only narrative instrument at that time was, well, if Elijah Muhammad 
is as pious as you all say, mm. if he is this great leader in the way you all say, and he's about community and family, why is he doing this? So, so do you feel like that information was kind of his, for lack of a better term, his trump card? It was, it was his nuclear option. Wow. And That's his, his last resort. He's like, correct. All right, well, listen. Correct. If I'm going to have a last stand, you you all have decided that you're going to excommunicate me anyway. Has has, has Ali ever talked about, you know, after the passing of he, Malcolm? He expressed a certain amount of regret okay. later on at having distanced himself yeah. from Malcolm because in a part of what he said in the conversation that I observed was that he felt badly mm. that Malcolm was essentially left on his own. Mm. That he feels in some way know that he contributed. I mean, to that isolation by publicly saying, yeah, and then publicly allying himself. I mean, because let's be honest, we talk about somebody will pull. Yeah, if if Ali's like, if Ali say, mm-hmm. I, Malcolm's my brother, don't touch him. That would have been his whole. Who's yo, going to? Yeah, who's, we're oh, talking wow. about that. He's uh, more famous than all of us. Yeah. His voice carries more. He's yeah. been in the trenches. Yep. He gave up his title. So, so here's my question. Like, is, and this is a thing that that I that I think about. Like, if 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 the nation is looking at an instrument to speak mm-hmm. on their behalf, mm-hmm. right? You you have Malcolm and you have Ali, where, the, where that are both very vibrant orators, right? Do you think that? I don't know. A part of me feels like. You know, Ali is just as loud as, as Malcolm is loud. Sure. But there's this thing where with Ali, there's some of this Southern charm that, yeah. that it, you know, I think Ali was a brilliant guy. He but was. It wasn't, it wasn't as cerebral as a Malcolm. Right. So do you think that if the nation is like, all right, Malcolm is getting too much attention, is, is it, was it more or less, he's getting so much attention, but he's getting so much attention and he is... I guess this uber intellectual attention, right. as opposed to, you know, there's some country charm to Ali. Yeah, I I would say the difference between the two was the amount of control and access that could be exercised over the instrument. Mm. I have a case. So Malcolm is essentially a saxophone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Ali, good God, he's a one man band. Yeah, <laughs> there's there wouldn't be any way to fully censor him. Yeah. Wow. Can't do it. Nah. And the other question too is like, for, with with Ali when he did with the Nation and mm-hmm. kind of you know he was kind of their billboard. Correct. And not only was he their billboard, it was like yo the like boxing is one of those things where it's not a team sport right. and it's basically you're in a ring and and you're the champion of the world. Right. So for somebody to say that I am pretty much the baddest motherfucker in the world and mm-hmm. I'm associated with this organization. Mm-hmm. I wonder, there were times when, especially when Ali, you know, sat for those three years Mm -hmm. where he was financially struggling. Uh Has he ever talked about his beef with the nation? Because shouldn't that be a priority for the nation? I think he's he's said bits and pieces. I have never read or seen anything where he gave a thorough review Mm. of what it has happened. And and for him, I imagine some of it is just intensely personal. Mm -hmm. Um, He wouldn't want to tear the nation down fully. Mm. in some way or what would be perceived as such. And maybe that's kind of the same thing we were saying about Malcolm is that, you know, he has access to to all these press outlets. Right. But, you know, I tell people this. It's like even writing for like the Free Times and and somebody talks to my editor for a story. This is Mm -hmm. we're in a small community in Columbia. Right. You know, there was an article that was written about an art organization and 
and the woman, a part of the art organization, got really frustrated because there was a lot of stuff that was in an article that she didn't want out there. Okay. The reality of it was she didn't say off the record, mm-hmm. and she said all this stuff to this to this journalist. Right. And it's such a small community that she assumed, oh, we're all friends. And I would tell her, look, you can be cool with these journalists here. <laughs> right. You can have a drink. These guys are not your friends. Not at all. They have a job to do. And so maybe in the, maybe to that extent, you know, Ali probably looked at the press the same way, mm-hmm. where he's just like, you know, as soon as you sprinkle that there's a rift, somebody from the New York Times is going to come. I'll, you know what, man? Yeah. Tell us your story. I, I think what Ali probably grew to understand eventually, as Malcolm did, mm-hmm. was that they were being used mm-hmm. on, by everyone. Mm-hmm. By everyone. The press was using them for a mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. The nation was using them for influence. Mm-hmm. There was a reason why Malcolm kept being pressed forward as the public face. Yeah. And the- why Elijah Muhammad was the benevolent ruler in the background. Yeah. There was a reason why Ali was looked at as this fresh, powerful face. Mm-hmm. He understood he was being pressed eventually mm-hmm. to the fore in that way. And a think that's a large part of why he eventually converted to Orthodox Islam. You know, I have this weird thought about Farrakhan, okay. where I feel like Farrakhan is kind of the Jay-Z out of this trinity. And what I mean by it is that is this, is that Jay, you know, was friends with Biggie, uh-huh. and he saw what happened to Biggie and Pac. Yeah. And as a result, he was able to see their missteps and mm. kind of had this longevity. I like it. Yeah. So, so Farrakhan, yeah. you know, he's he's close proximity to Malcolm. Right. He sees what happens to Martin. Right. And somehow he's like, I, I see what these guys did. Right. Which essentially they both died at forty. Ma- Malcolm Correct. and Martin pretty much died at thirty nine, forty years Correct. old. Which Correct. is so weird to say that out loud. It is. You know what I mean? It is. Um, and and so Farrakhan is like, all right, well, I know what not to do because of these guys. And he kind of have this longevity. And that's kind of like what Jay-Z kind of did. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he's like, all right, okay, so Pac was kind of reckless, you know? Yeah. You know, Biggie, um, Biggie got murdered young. Here's how I'm not going to play that. I think Farrakhan among all of them was the one who I wouldn't want to fist fight least. <laughs> right. <laughs> because Farrakhan is the one who I believe has the pistol. <laughs> Yo. Handy. Farrakhan, every time I've listened to him speak about an issue, every time I've seen him engage, he is not there very mm-hmm. simply to make his point. He's there to win. Yeah. He's not there to convince you of a thing. Mm-hmm. He's there to give you his truth. Mm-hmm. He's not there to have this exchange of ideas and debate. He's mm-hmm. there to promote his narrative. Yeah, there you go. He's not collaborative in that way. Yeah. I think what he learned from that process, even being under Elijah Muhammad and watching Malcolm, is be hard, mm. be ruthless, mm. because that's what rulers must do. Mm. Otherwise, you end up like... Well, them there, and, and I an, think Jay Z has been a little bit ruthless in his career yeah, as well. Yeah. I won't talk bad about the man, but <laughs> you don't get to the spot that he's in mm-hmm. without leaving some bodies along the way. I have an interesting question mm-hmm. that that may apply to this because I this kind of I felt like this with the documentary. Okay, um, so I was having a friend a talk with a friend, and we were talking about like we were watching like the All Star Game, mm-hmm. and she said, "Yo, you know." Again, I kind of understood how the NBA had to do this because Kobe had just passed and, right. and it's All-Star Weekend. But, like, Jennifer Hudson's performance all behind her was just, like, all these pictures of Kobe yeah. and Gigi. Yeah. And it was a lot. And it was emotional. 
And my friend said, yo, this can be traumatizing to the point Absolutely. where every time we turn around, we see this. Right. And 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 it could psychologically fuck us up. Re-traumatize. Exactly. Person, yeah. I felt watching that documentary, you know, I don't want to see autopsy pictures of Malcolm. Yeah, I don't need that. I, I don't want to see the bullet that was in his chin. I don't want... Correct. You, you know what I'm Correct. saying? Yeah. And, and, it, and it dawned on me. I was like, damn, okay, you can say this is for documentary purposes, but I never see anything like that mm-hmm. with, you know... I've never seen autopsy pictures of John Lennon. <laughs> you know <laughs> no, what I mean? There's, there's, we have a comfort. Like we've become emotionally desensitized mm. to ruined black bodies. Mm. Mm. We've become desensitized to the mm. kind of immediate and catastrophic violence that is visited on black bodies mm. and black people. I believe fully, I continue to say, I think we expect it. Mm-hmm. Expect that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Most of us spend some part of our day hoping it's not today. Yeah. And so Ooh. we become entirely too comfortable with the idea that we should review the evidence of it happening to someone else with a degree of comfort and familiarity. Yeah. That's a broken emotional space to be in. You know, if you think about it, you know, everyone was frustrated with like TMZ. Yeah. Um, when when they announced, you know, Kobe's passing before yeah. before the authorities let Vanessa the Bryant know, know, you know, yeah. and and the, the editorial that I wrote, I said TMZ is the same place that showed the footage of Nipsey being murdered. Correct. They showed Correct. the footage of when Triple X and Tashion was dead in his car. Correct. They showed Correct. that footage. You know? Yeah, they they absolutely are catering to the segment of all populations that have given up trying to heal themselves mm. in their human experience and their connection to people. It's like we we want the worst of it because mm-hmm. we can take it. Those of us who are holding on to those vestiges of mm-hmm. humanity mm-hmm. and sanity, we don't want that exposure. We know what continually being exposed does. I mean, and and even even you know. When when one of us are murdered by the cops, yeah. that footage, that footage shown yeah. over and over, over and again. over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it not only because those are bodies like ours, we mm-hmm. get accustomed to seeing it in one way, mm-hmm. but every other community becomes accustomed to the idea that it simply is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It becomes a part of their news cycle, and with enough exposure, they no longer respond with outrage. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough outrage to give. Wow. If they had any to begin with. Wow. And eventually we're exposed to it so much purposefully. I believe there are forces who know if I know and was trained with these things, mm-hmm. they have consultants who know this as well. Yeah. With enough exposure, eventually people have to abandon outrage so that they don't become emotionally overwhelmed. Wow. Eventually you're your brain fully shuts down. Your emotions shut down so that you don't collapse under the weight. Wow. So there comes a time where your brain simply has to rewire itself. I'm not going to allow you to collapse with this. So I'm going to turn down the volume of our response to so, it. So the outrage turns into acceptance or what would it turn to? It turns into numbness, <sighs> Turns into which is roughly the same as acceptance. Wow. I, I don't even have enough emotional energy to lend to this 
past a certain point. I ain't got the bandwidth to right. process and, this information. Yeah. The, the brain is about adaptation. Mm. Right? If you're exposed to something long enough, the brain finds a way for you to process it so that you can manage it well. Mm. Right? You have footage of children in studies, all of those post-traumatic stress disorder studies of the early 10s, where they were looking at rates of PTSD between American cities and Baghdad, mm. right, where you've had children who were in a war zone mm -hmm. just a couple of years before the 2010 start, right? And I can recall seeing these two little girls like talking to this cameraman, right? And shots go off. Mm -hmm. They don't flinch. And, no, they look to each other and they're like, oh, that's about a block over. Okay. Wow. These girls were seven and nine. Wow. They looked at each other and one was like, oh no, that's about a block over. The camera shakes as the cameraman is like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. He's about to hit the ground. Yeah. They're looking at him like, no, 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 chill out. It's about a block over. Wow. And indicated to him, you know when you you know when they're close enough and you have to run. Like they're able to say, nah, you know, that sounds like a nine milli. Wow. They've been exposed to it so much. They don't even have the panic. They don't have the worry. They don't have the anguish. They don't have the anxiety anymore. Yeah. And there are probably still vestiges of it. Yeah. They still have some human access to it. But a part of it has been burned away due to that much exposure. Wow. And we continue to see it with, where people just have to find ways to check out so as to not drown themselves in the kind of anguish and misery they sometimes feel. Is it going to be someone I know? Yeah are the microaggressions that exist in daily life going to be a part of the experience that I have yeah. in some way? Um, it's brutal. It's brutal. Do you think the trauma is also associated where it's like the the school, I think that was in Jersey, where some of these killers yeah. came from, it's yeah. now Malcolm X High or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Do, do you think that adds to the trauma to be like, yo, here's this hero that was murdered in this area, and mm -hmm. we're just going to, you know, name a bunch of shit after them. I think, t for those who know, yes. Mm -hmm. And the naming of, and nationally, mm -hmm. you have the process where people, I think, try to honor the person, not always knowing what having to revisit their life is going to be like. I guarantee there were people who saw that documentary who were alive mm -hmm. when he was assassinated. And what it brought back for them was the overall environment yeah. of the time. Yeah. And and you could see that there's people that in the community, they didn't want to talk about it. Listen, leave it alone. Yeah. Le leave it alone. We we have an answer that suffices for us. And in our community, especially, especially, <laughs> especially, mm -hmm. I think we have ways in which we absolutely want to get away from the horrors we've visited on one another mm -hmm. because we're reluctant in some ways to be responsible for pulling at the threads of our wellness. Mm -hmm. Man, if I revisit this and I start talking about what black people did, mm -hmm. if I start talking about the horrors we've visited on one another in our homes and in our families, like I'm causing more harm and I don't want to do so. People were shutting those conversations down. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm trying to find out if this brother was guilty yeah. of killing Malcolm X. Yeah. And the number of people with tremendous discomfort around it, kind of this cognitive dissonance. We can talk mm -hmm. about what all was happening, but when we get up to that point where we question whether or not there was a lie told, well, somebody got in trouble for it. Mm. Somebody was prosecuted. Isn't that enough? Mm. How? 
Yeah. How? Well, it's only enough if you believe in some way that the person deserved what happened to him. Yeah. Then you feel you have enough. Yeah. And if you don't believe that they deserve what happened to them, then you would ultimately want to uncover. Or do you feel like it's like the community that's surrounding that to say, look, if Malcolm was the biggest, baddest person that was in this mm-hmm. this um, conversation and he got touched, mm-hmm. what could happen to you? Yeah, that too. Yeah. That too. Our community doesn't value untouchables. Mm. We don't. We might create a monument of some of our better known people, but we've got a way about bringing people back down. It's like, you're still black. We're going to remind you. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we're going to catch you up. And the kind of conversations people were having about Malcolm's audacity, Mm -hmm. his his arrogance, Mm -hmm. but, excuse me, he was calling into question what Elijah Muhammad was actually doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he was saying, this man is behaving in this way. The responses to that were, how dare you question this man because this man represents the faith. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. <sighs> how they say, um, do you have faith in Elijah Muhammad? He said, I have faith in Allah. So right. like, you know, it's, right. it's like, you know. <sighs> we, give, we give the conduits to, to who we eventually see as the higher power. We give them a certain amount of power by association. Do you think that the Nation of Islam is still affected by this PR of Malcolm being assassinated? Are they affected by it? In the sense of the, the way we talked about like prison culture, in the yeah. sense where it's like yeah. back in the day, you know, if 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 there were black men in prison, the nation was would bring a lot of these guys Correct. out. Now it's kind of like, all right, you hear brothers kind of associating with gang more than anything else. Yeah. Do you think like in the back of these people's minds that if they're approached or associated with Nation of Islam, the first thought that goes through their minds is like, man, it has something to do with Malcolm. I'm going to stay away from that. I understand. Um, Yeah, they're affected by it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think ultimately the more work that people have done on the Nation of Islam and what the ultimate fundamental tenets are, Mm -hmm. It, certainly, it's Islam for black Americans. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to say for all people. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it has a kind of developmental identity mm-hmm. that even this particular documentary brings to the surface. Mm-hmm. Why does this feel different than does Islam as we know it? Yeah. Well, because of its context and why it was developed. It was developed with a message for a particular group of people. Yeah, yeah. With a particular psychological identity and history. The more aware we become of it, you know, I had a brother who's a friend say, well, it's kind of like an Islam starter kit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what? And I thought about it after he said it. Like, no, I think that's how many people view it. Like, Mm -hmm. it is still underdeveloped. Mm that Malcolm and Muhammad Ali, like they didn't become their fullest selves until they began to engage in Islam. Exactly, okay, yeah. Overall, and the nation of Islam was still somewhat underdeveloped with regard to meeting their needs. Now, that happens in every faith. Yeah. But you, who's the Muhammad Ali for NOI now? Mm-hmm. Where is that person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, is, is Farrakhan Malcolm? Doesn't feel that way Mm-mm. to me, Mm-mm. because because you know, 
even though I think Farrakhan's an amazing orator and Correct. and he he knows his stuff, there's something about and especially when we're talking about Southern black people, mm-hmm. there's something about black people not feeling like he, you know, we're part of of the nation, or he, or he speaks on behalf of he's, us. He's a company man. Yeah, is yeah. I think what very many people yeah. respond yeah. to, and I think he would like to maybe raise the nation of Islam back to where it was in its heyday. Yeah. And, and you know, stuff like you know, the the Million Man March was his attempt certainly to to to, to, to doing that powerful but, step. Yeah, did but, it accomplish what it was supposed to, other than creating a narrative mm, and then experience? I mean, it was a bit of a rock concert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what can we say came of it? Yeah, I think he's identified in the same way they had Muhammad Ali available to them at that moment. Mm. He's identified Jay Electronica yeah. in his space, and Jay defends Farrakhan. Yeah. With that being said, do either of them occupy the same cultural space that we see with the Malcolm? Or Muhammad, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. not no. at all. And certainly, Malcolm X being assassinated, I think, was a turning point for NOI. Yeah. And this coming back up, people are going to look again and say, "Well, where have you matured to?" Yeah, and and I see certain stuff happening because uh, the Joe Button podcast, they were talking about that uh, Godfather in Harlem mm-hmm. show where Malcolm uh-huh. was a character in that. I haven't seen the show. Okay, but um. There were people from the NOI that called into the Joe Button show because they were saying there was a lot of stuff they were talking about Malcolm on there that they indicated the the you know the nation with a lot of stuff that he tried to kind of jump on that after the Malcolm documentary came out. I still haven't seen this, but there was somebody from the nation that went on the Breakfast Club. You okay. know what I mean? So okay. so there's some kind of you know damage control that is going that, on. That they're trying yeah, to let's do, get this narrative you know, under you control. Know. Um, but again. I don't. I don't think a people. A lot of people know who these guys are that are speaking nope. on behalf of the nation. You know. No, and and that's a part of the issue. Is really the nation of Islam came to prominence at a point where civil rights was a world conversation. Mm. You had leaders who were involved and engaged in that struggle who were world figures. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. Well, you know, we still talk about injustice and racial inequality, but who is the superstar? Yeah. Who's the electronic man now? Wow. And I wouldn't know who that was. Uh, there are people who certainly have national impact. I'm friends with some. I respect most. Mm-hmm. But we d- aren't having that same conversation on the world stage so. in that way. It's a bit more of an insulated conversation. So what are your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts, I would like the truth. Mm. I would like for the case to be reopened. I think psychologically, I would like for our nation to address how it is we deal with black misery mm-hmm. and how we deal with black death. Mm-hmm. And I would like to, in many ways, counter it. I don't want to see as much of it, if any, um, I don't want to see any more, I hate to say this, and I know some folks are going to crucify me, but fuck it. I value history, but I don't want to see any more films about slavery. Mm, I feel you. I want to see films about us flying to the stars. Mm. I want to see films about black people leading the struggle against alien invaders. (laughs) Right. I want to see (laughs) films about black cowboys and cowgirls on like cyborg horses. Yeah. Saving the day. Like, I want to see so many other stories. 
of our people and our community. Um, so I want truth on one end, mm-hmm. but I also want to see the future yeah. going forward. That, I agree. It's like I, I always had this argument that's like, you know, white people have the luxury of horror films mm-hmm. because, you know, when life is so, you know, chill. Right. You, you got to create shit to be fear, uh, right. scared of. Right. You know running, I mean? running from a nigga with a hook is Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> For brother or sister, that's Tuesday. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know it's what I'm like, saying? Yeah. It's like, so they yeah. have to manufacture horror. We don't right. have to do that. You know? Right. No, walk into yeah. the mailbox knowing the bills are in it yeah. like the slow exactly. music is playing. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and no, what I want to see is a more diverse and well-rounded representation of our lives. And I value everything that has been told to this point, but I want the truth about situations like Malcolm. I want us to look at our historical figures and tell a Mm well-rounded picture and to tell a well-rounded story. And no, I think that was an attempt here. But then I want us to go forward and to share more of who we are and what we do as overall people. Like, there should be a documentary in Colombia about Preacher Jacobs, the music man, oh boy. the DJ. Oh, yeah, no, nah, like you, you. We should have a camera running around with you. Like, what is your life like? It's in ninety ninety percent crying, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing, though. Like a part of a film about a brother who is crying and then how he gets up yeah. and lives his life. That's a tremendously important story to tell. Listen, man, the. I say this, and then we got to run in a second. Sure. It's like doing the Black as Fuck show and, and being all emotional about it. The mm-hmm. amount of people that came to me after that show, it was kind of like, it was kind of like, you know what? I I, I, I talked to a therapist too. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, but I'm, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I feel like we need to do it. We should, and, and get it filmed, recorded, edited and shared with our community, have a circle of brothers mm-hmm. who are here within the city and us just talking about our wellness and how we struggle with it, mm-hmm. how we make meaning of it, and then how we move forward in our lives. There are folks who need it from us. Well, that's going to be our next project. Okay. Let's, let's figure out where we want to do it at. Okay. I'll set it up. Let's do it. Let's do it. My Let's man. get it done. Brother. Tell the people where they can find you once again. Listen, as always, uh, if you're on Twitter, Napoleon BX Sith, and many of you did hit me up. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, my email address is yourbrotheriam at gmail.com or napoleonwellsphd at gmail.com for business purposes only. I didn't say that last time. <laughs> Let me say that. And uh, Napoleon Wells on Facebook. Uh, you folks be good. God bless. Yo, this is the Negro League Podcast. I'm not going to get the whole spill again. Y'all know where to find the website. Thank y'all so much for listening. Peace.